0: Beloved
1: Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, I will ask you all to stand and let us again affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for this once again privilege to be in this place on the foundation of the covenant of blood. And so allow your inheritance on the foundation of the covenant of this blood to be lifted, to than us, and to break all evil and sin that binds us. In the name of Jesus Christ, may in this place be cursed all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, all forms of fears, phobias, depressions misunderstandings, ignorance, deceitfulness, all of this, let it be cursed and let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And so stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented in your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your uplifted and mighty hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. You may be seated. Mirror to you, saints of God who are found in Christ, who have prepared their hearts to hearing the word of God, who live, which lives, breathes, and trembles before the mighty word of the Heavenly Father. The word I would like to offer today is taken from the series of sermons of Apostle Arcadi, and is a challenge to all those who have, loved his, who have loved his word so that we as members of the body of Christ divide with Christ all that was written about him in Scripture. We will continue our study in the direction of our cooperation with the Holy Spirit in what we must do on our end so that we receive the right to set aside our former way of life to be clothed in a new way of life and we will read a familiar place of scripture to us this is to uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 through 24 that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God into righteousness and holiness of truth and as we know for the fulfillment of this commandment, there are three basic commands and verbs. These are set aside to renew and to clothe. And we can do this together under the condition that we are found in the body of Christ. This means that we will be healthy members of the body of Christ. And understanding that arriving to this place that we together lose something, And we, of course, find something as well. We come here together to destroy our old man and to build up our new man. If we consciously do not attend church service, we, in doing so, strengthen the position of our enemies, the old man and all that stands behind him. And despite this sequence of these verbs, it is not written how and with what means it is necessary to set aside the former way of life, then to renew our thinking with the spirit of mind, and then finally to begin the process of clothing our body into the new man based on how we answer these fateful questions will depend on whether or not we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath or rather, will the salvation that was given to us in the format of a deposit be fulfilled or will we waste it forever? If we were to waste it, our names would be blotted out of the Book of Life forever, despite the fact that at one point they were indeed written there. What conditions are necessary to fulfill so that through our already renewed thinking we could begin the process of clothing ourselves in the powers of our new man, created by God in Christ Jesus, in righteousness and holiness of truth? We have noted that our new man that we must be clothed into is our inner or our innermost man that was born from the unfading seed of the Word of God, which by nature is righteous, holy, unfading, and undying. Although for a time being it is in the corrupt body, it is in the fourth dimension of the invisible and eternal realm. In this manner, our new man, of course, he doesn't have a male or female gender. It carries in himself the dimension of eternity in time, and therefore it does not depend on time, and in fact rules over time, because it looks at the unseen, lives by the unseen, and strives, of course, toward the unseen. Thanks to the, this, it calls inexistent in time inheritance of Christ as existent. In our lives. So we proclaim with our lips the treasures of faith contained in the tablets of our heart in the subject of an unfading inheritance that is pure and imperishable. And therefore, the right to be clothed in the powers of our new man is the right to rule over time, because without ruling over time, it is impossible to be clothed in the garments of truth to fulfill the perfect justice of our Heavenly Father. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verses 5 through 7, He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment, because for every matter there is a time and judgment. Though the misery of man increases greatly, for he does not know what will happen, so who can tell him when it will occur? So a person does not know what the commandment is that contains the time and the statute because we have read today that we must do but in order to understand how we must do it with what methods we need to first from the beginning of the Bible unto the end to study everything under the direction of the Holy Spirit to see how we must do it. And according to this verse and other places of scripture it follows that without ruling over time expressed in the knowledge of what will happen it will be impossible to be clothed in garments of righteousness to fulfill the perfect justice of our Heavenly Father. And when examining the nature of the new man, we decided to look at the process of being clothed in the power of the new man from seven different different angles and seven virtues, although many more exist. And so, this is a man clothed in garments of salvation, dressed in clothes of justice, crowned with the crown of the bridegroom, It's a man decorated with the ornaments of a bride, it's a person dressed in a wedding garment, a person dressed in fine linen, clean and bright, and a person who accepted a representative force, Yahweh of Hosts. And this is all in one man. When examining these virtues, we highlighted the fact that all of these virtues are located in one another, find themselves in one another, come from one another, support one another, and serve to ratify the truth of one another. In one of the places of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 10 through 11, we have discovered the first four dignities. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me in the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, too, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, three, and as a bridegroom adorns herself with her jewels, Four. here we see four of these qualities for as the earth brings forth its bud as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations so these virtues are the uh, righteousness of God and God is going to demonstrate it before his people he is going to clothe us when we cooperate along with him so that we can be clothed into the new man clothed in garments of righteousness garments of justice, robe of righteousness, and bridegroom adorns herself with ornaments. First, we have noted that the combination of these virtues and regalia of power in one man, especially the combination of the crown of the bridegroom and jewels of the bride, truly surpasses the abilities of our mind. Second, in this prophetic saying, there are virtues that are grown by God in the heart of a person, the same way the earth grows its plants and a garden grows what is sown in it. Third, joy in the Lord in this prophecy is one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit that is called to define the kingdom of heaven in the pure heart of man. And this kind of fruit of joy in the heart of man is the result of harvest that yielded the kingdom of heaven in his heart, ascending in power, which was previously in the sowing of an unfading seed that was planted in tears in the heart of this man. As it is written, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I think we know this feeling quite well. What sowing is tied with? Sowing, of course, is tied with a loss. And this is not always comfortable for a person. In order for us to receive anything, we must, of course, sow. Therefore, being clothed into the new man is being clothed in the fruit of the Spirit in the resurrection of Christ, in the, again, fruit of the Spirit brought by us to God that is called to yield in our heart the power and order of the kingdom of heaven and righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. With regard to this, we already looked at six conditions and have stopped to examine the seventh. This is the price for the right to be clothed in the robe of righteousness to fulfill the justice of God. This is being clothed in the redemption that is due to being observant of the Lord's Pesach according to the statutes set by God. John chapter 6, verses 53 through 58. that Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life. They will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is food indeed, and My blood is drink indeed. We are talking about the teaching that is contained in the truth, contained in the truth of the blood of the cross of Christ, and the truth that is contained in the truth of the cross of Christ. And of course, when a person eats of the supper of the lord and is not familiar with this teaching he eats into judgment to himself for my flesh is food and my blood is drink indeed he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and i in him as a living father has sent me and i live because of the father so he who feeds on me will live because of me this is the bread which came down from heaven Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. The main essence in worthily partaking of Pesach is comprised of the knowledge, through instruction and faith, of our cooperation with the teaching that is contained in the truth of the blood of Christ and the truth of the cross of Christ that opens the free entrance into the inheritance that is contained in the blood of Christ. If a person, through instruction and faith, is not going to be taught these two fundamental truths that are the root system of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, then he is not going to have any opportunity to worthily partake of the Supper of the Lord, however he may call it the breaking of bread, communion, so forth. We have noted that each detail in the yearly celebration of Pesach presented in the taking of the Lord's Supper points to final freedom from the bondage of sin and death in the body. And in the future, final freedom from the fading body and deadly soul, which, thanks to the worthy partaking of the Pesach Lamb, in time will be clothed into imperishability and, of course, immortality. In the Pesic statue, worthy partaking of the Pesic Lamb consisted of meeting the conditions of certain kinds of clothing that carried the readiness to fulfill God's justice and certain kinds of conditions necessary for worthy partaking of the Pesic Lamb. Non-compliance to these conditions in any of their aspects did not free man from execution of the sentence of death. And likewise, complying to the statutes of the Pesach, made a person a partaker to the production of God's judgment over the firstborn of Egypt. Exodus 12:12. 12, 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. According to these regulations, we know that the firstborn of Egypt that Egyptians so heavily relied on were the gods of Egypt. We must remember that our dependence defines our deities, our trust, and our worship. Because if a person says that he loves God and depends on God, but at the same time he depends on money, on alcohol, on envy, or on deceitfulness, covetousness, or on any kind of adulterous needs, then this kind of a person is lying simply to himself. What we depend on is our worship and our deity. However, we might hide this. The firstborn of Egypt represented an image of the soul of a man who declined to lose his soul in the death of the Lord Jesus so that he could die to his nation, his household, and his personal carnal desires and preferences that went against the desires of God. You know, when the children of God accept Christ, when they accept salvation, they at this time are carnal people. And if they do not refuse their in their carnal state to lose their soul in the death of the Lord Jesus, so as we say, to die to their nation, to the house of their father, to their corrupt desires, then in this manner, in their time, they themselves are going to become gods to themselves because they grow. And... Out of an infant, they will grow into carnal people. But in carnal people, these are no longer infants. They are those people who have an intellect, who have knowledges, who have education with their own eye, and they are going to constantly say, I don't understand it this way, or I don't see it this way. They won't partake to the body of Christ, where there will be unanimity that comes from one head. Otherwise, how do we have unanimity? I remember at one time in that service that we, where we were, where we used to live in the former Soviet Union, uh, the brothers had offered us to pray, and one of the needs was to pray for unanimity. But at that time, I did not have all this information, and I, as everyone, prayed, and he was uh, there, And although each of us are individual and each one might have their own opinion and people say that they don't have have to have their own opinion, you know, how these carnal people, they begin to turmoil at pastor what we don't have our own heads, they say, or are you the only one who can decide? No, one head is Christ and in each individual church. He has his appointed head, his representative on earth. And only in this way can we be unanimous. Not to, so be unanimous, it says. It's a directive. It's a command. Be in unanimity to humble our eye and to simply put, be un, uh, unanimous if we are sober-minded. And so, if we do not fulfill God's justice by condemning our soul to death and the worthy partaking to the Lord's Pesach, according to the statute set in place by God, we will never be a part of the descendants of Abraham's faith. So this is that person who had died to the house of his father, to his nation, to his desires, and I think we know his biography and actions very well. How can we define the presence of death in us? How? Sometimes I also ask, and the pastor had answered this and I had heard from him that when a person is going to be see the expression or the manifestation of his flesh which he hates, this means that he has died. He now just needs scissors to, at the correct time, uh, trim the, trim his lamp. He sees and he suffers. But when a person says that everything is fine, he's following Christ and everything's okay. This person just needs a knife. He's, he has never died. Abraham was been set by God as a standard of faith, accepted the pro- promise of God in the seed of the preached word, because of which he called the inex- ex- inexistent as existent, and in this way, way he grew the seed into the fruit of joy in the face of Isaac, who was born to him. You know, there will come a time also like this in our life. Isaac means joy or smile. I think that joy that we have when all of this will occur, that which we call our faith, and we are based on our faith, on our trust, on our dedication. But when it occurs in life, I think we will have a smile 24 hours a day. And this is not going to be a typical... American showing of nice teeth, but this is going to be the joy of the heart. The pesach in leather garments, which God made for the redemption of the first Adam before the creation of the world, was meant by God to become the blessed fate for only those people who have been appointed by God for salvation. Because it is in the worthy partaking of pesach that God received the ability to execute judgment over His sworn promises including the fulfillment of his judgment over his enemies in the face of the unclean, the world, abject poverty and all kinds of sicknesses and disease that plague his chosen remnants, and for the unfading treasures of the feast of Pesach containing within it Belonging to God's people, to God's righteousness, to become our inheritance, Scripture imputed to us the need to fulfill ten conditions, or rather, to be in these ten conditions, so that we can worthily partake of the Pesach. And so this is to the choice and the separation of the pesic lamb. This is to remove all leaven from our houses, to sprinkle the blood of the pesic lamb over the beams and doorposts, to bake the whole pesic lamb over fire, to gird ourselves with a belt, to put shoes on our feet, to contain a a staff in our hand, eat the whole lamb, eat the pesic lamb with unlimited bread and bitter herbs, and eat the pesic lamb in haste. and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist we today will take a pay, pay attention to the tenth component to eat the pesic lamb in haste and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist your tandem on your feet and your staff in your hand so you shall eat it in haste it is the Lord's Passover Exodus chapter 12 verse 11 the element of haste when eating the pesic lamb was so important that it is mentioned in Scripture on numerous occasions as a certain law, a changing law. And it is this particular element that was involved in the Exodus out of Egypt. And this particular element was elevated to a rank of special signs that was called to serve a sign for circumcision of our heart and circumcision of our ear. It is this element of haste That is evident in a circumcised ear and a circumcised heart. Deuteronomy 16.3 You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. Deuteronomy 16.3 The word haste, aside from its literal meaning, in the dimension of time, means... Hurry, rush, not be late. In Hebrew, in the dimension of the Spirit, it contains a completely different meaning. Specifically, in Hebrew, to haste means to take on the yoke, to carry your cross, to endure suffering, to be clothed in the robe of a disciple, to be clothed in weapons of light and the power is the doctrine of Christ, or to be strengthened with all power according to the might of God's glory to renew your thinking, to meditate on the supreme law of the Almighty, to listen to the words of God with fear and trembling, and to stand on guard, not damaging the word of God. Considering that eating the Pesach is a guarantee of the new law, which is symbolically made in the number eight, we decided to look at eight signs that contain the meaning of haste, although there are many more that exist. In a certain format, we have already examined six signs that define haste in the worthy partaking of the basic lamb, and we have stopped to examine the seventh sign. The seventh sign of eating the Lord's basic in haste in Hebrew is to be strengthened with all power, according to the might of God's glory, with all patience, generosity, and joy. This is written in Colossians 1, verse 11, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Pastor had noted that in Scripture, God's power that we are called to be strengthened by, eating the Lord's basic in haste, due to the innumerable possibilities of God, are contained in a variety of His works that demonstrate the power and the glory of God strength in hebrew this is power strength might right authority rule sign covenant shine designation the attributes of world power the whole armor of god the host of heaven elements of the universe, many graces and bounties of God, many of God's grandness and grandeur, many innumerable and immeasurable powers of God, a lot of power and fortresses, the ability and opportunity to do justice and righteousness, and the ability to spread and expand, as well as miracles and wonders. What? a large amount of information that we can have in one word. We have noted that only when we find specific strengths of God operating in us and through us, we will be able to testify that we are eating the Lord's Pesach in haste, which gives us the opportunity to withstand the ambitions of our personal Egypt. And so, to be strengthened by the powers of his glory, it is necessary to fulfill one condition. This is to abide in all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. It was necessary for us to examine what is to be understood as the powers of God contained in the power of his glory. And only then we can examine, how do we abide in all patience and long suffering with joy, so that we could strengthen ourselves? With these manifold powers of
0: god
1: otherwise how do we strengthen with these powers if we don't know what these powers even are and so examining the first question what is to be understood as the powers of god contained in the power of his glory we have come to a conclusion that the multifunctional powers of god are defined by the manifold works of god that are demonstrated in His works. Psalm 66.3, Say to God, How awesome are your works! The greatness of your power, your enemies, shall submit themselves to you. This is talking about how His manifold works are perfect with His manifold powerful, and thanks to this, His enemies submit to Him. And, of course, our main enemy that is called to submit to us when we work with the greatness of God's powers is our soul, our soul which by nature is bound to its nation, its household, in its genetic preferences and desires, behind which stand the manifold works of darkness. The true works of God done through the greatness of His power inspire fear and awe before God if, of course, they are found in the heart of a person and produce the works of God. And each individual person is called to behold in his life these results when he eats the Lord's basic in haste. And in this manner, in the manifold and multifunctional powers of God contained in the power of God, is revealed a great deed of God's redemption, showing us who God is for us and what He has done for us. Whereas the question, how can we be strengthened by the great powers of God in the greatness of His glory which reveals for us what we must do to inherit all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus? And so, in a certain format, we have already examined several definitions that yield the nature and character of specific powers of God produced in His people and through His people. And we have stopped at the next power of God that is called to be expressed in the heart and through the heart of a person who has been redeemed by God in the multitude of mercies and bounties of God the multitude of mercies and bounties of god are his strength or his powers the next power of the lord in the heart of a person redeemed by god is in the multitude of mercies and bounties of god psalms chapter 5 verses 4 through 8 but as for me i will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy in fear of view i will worship toward your holy temple you know because each power of god has its specific face specific character and in this case we meet with the multiple powers of God and the multitude of mercies of God. Therefore in order to rule or be in the powers of God expressed in the multitude of God's mercies it's necessary for our heart to have the right to not just have or to cooperate with these powers but the right to also dwell in these powers. The right to dwell in the powers of God is the fear of the Lord that is called to use and maintain those powers to blot out our iniquities before the face of God? Therefore, it turns out that the fear of the Lord is the commander, the army commander of the powers of God in His mercy. Let us read this place of Scripture, Psalms chapter 51, verses 3 through 14, which has become our prayer psalm. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, my sin is always before you. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make Make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And recognizing our iniquity before God is an important step. If we confess our sins, then he, having been faithful, will forgive us and is going to cleanse us from our sins. So he is going to justify us. He is going to blot out as if they never existed before. However, for God to blot out our iniquity, recognizing our iniquity before God by itself is not enough. Because for the blotting out of our iniquities we must cooperate with the multitude powers of God in the subject of His mercies contained in the inheritance of the blood of the cross of Christ. This unique cooperation with the multitude of God's mercies expressed in His innumerable bounties create a prayer that defines the haste needed to eat of the pasik. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. The thing is, is that only after blotting out our transgressions through our cooperation with the multitude of the Lord's tender mercies, we will be made worthy of God and will receive the right to enter before the face of the Lord to ratify His interest and His perfect justice. In order to practice God's perfect justice, it is necessary for mercy and truth to bind our necks so that these virtues could be written on the tablets of our heart and become the state of our hearts. That we have meditated upon this, pondered upon this, and it was constantly before our eyes, our spiritual eyes. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 through 4 Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man.
0: Our
1: neck, which is a symbol that we are called to bind to mercy and truth, is our cooperation with the Sovereign and Perfect Will of God. In practice, this means to submit our will to the Perfect Will of God aforementioned in Scripture, whereas engraving mercy and truth on the tablet of our hearts is the cooperation of our wise and reasonable heart with the wisdom and mind of God, which in practice means to prepare the soul of our heart to accept the seed of the preached word of the kingdom of heaven. It is in this way, when we prepare our hearts to hearing the word of God, that God places something in our hearts, rather, His word, and it is the seed. Genesis 31:6 and I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. You know in my, once my time I read this place scripture and I thought well perhaps they translated correct or well can does a wise person need wisdom I always thought that the foolish need to have wisdom but it turns out that the wi- the wi- wisdom will be given to the wise and when pastor says prepare your hearts to hearing the word of God it turns out that when we prepare them, that we uh, per- that we prepare ourselves to hearing the word of God, and when we come here, we receive a different kind of wisdom that we hear from here. This is like the one to he who has, I will given. God has a specific principle and order. If you desire. This means that you are behaving wisely. Wisdom is when I go after, I walk after the truth. Just like the sheep follow the voice of their shepherd, and the devil can't take him away. He tries to persecute people, and they all run. But Christ walks in the front, and he who hears this voice is going to follow him. That's why here... Wisdom that we can receive from the Church of God. And so the teaching about wisdom that we are called to bind our neck can manifest itself only under the strict conditions of truth yielded by the principles of the written Word of God. Instead of some kind of created pseudo-religious images, as well as waste from our intellect which has no right or the ability to comprehend mercy and truth in the transcendent Word of God. And so, for God to be able to reach out His golden scepter towards us in the subject of His favor toward us, things to which we receive the right to ratify His justice over the just and the unjust, the virtues of mercy and truth are supposed to not only become the possession of our hearts, but also its state the state that serves as the definition of the kingdom of heaven, of course, in our heart. In relation to this, we have once again decided to refresh our memories with these questions that are well known to us. What character does Scripture put in the properties of God's mercies, which are an expression of His great power, defining God's favor toward man in the image of His golden scepter? What purpose in our worship is called to fulfill the great powers of God in the subject of God's mercies? What price must we pay so that the multitude of God's mercies become our property and our state? And by what results can we define that God has truly stretched out to us the multitude of His mercies in the image of His golden scepter that granted us His great powers? When examining the first question, what character does Scripture put in the properties of God's mercies which are an expression of His great power, we came to the conclusion that first, God's mercy as it is, is one of the main names of God as well as one of His character titles. Second Corinthians one three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts. Second, the mercy of the Lord is God's inheritance that is passed on solely to his children as the heirs of Abraham's faith, from one righteous kind to another righteous kind, from the Father to the Son. Third, the Lord's mercy, according to its status, is lifted up over life in the flesh, because it is better than life in the flesh. Fourth, the Lord's mercy is one of the diverse manifestations of the goodness of God, expressed in His grace which has reigned in the heart of a person, through righteousness that a person has accepted as a gift of grace in the redemption of Christ Jesus. And fifth, the Lord's mercy contained in God's goodness is one of the definitions and manifestations of God's truth that has been predestined for the wrestles of mercy that walk in truth. Psalms 89.1 I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. This saying is unique and in, in that man who sings of the Lord's mercies or who praises the Lord's mercies contained in his goodness receives the opportunity to trumpet these mercies in the limits of God's truth, which points to the fact that a person who trumpets mercies and praises them as truth is in God's goodness and protects himself from falling away. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in His goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Romans 11.22 In this case, the goodness of God is a demonstration of mercy and truth that covers those people who have bound their necks to mercy and truth. Whereas the strictness or the severity of God is a demonstration of God's justice and righteousness that spreads over those people that have refused to bind their necks to mercy and truth. Scripture calls these people stiff. Stiff meaning their neck is stiff, it does not turn in any direction from the word of God, it turns from its own desires. Psalms 89.14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. You know, the phrase mercy and truth go before your face means that mercy and truth precede the righteousness and justice of God or are justification for man, which allow God to not punish a man for his crimes. If we do not prepare our hearts, to hear the proclaimed mercy and truth from the messengers of God, we will not have the ability to turn upon ourselves the goodness of God or God's favor upon us. As it is ro- written in Romans chapter ten, verses sixteen through seventeen, faith is from hearing, and hearing is from the Word of God. Romans ten, chapter sixteen, chapter ten, verses sixteen through seventeen. Hearing the word of God can only be through those people whom God has sent and not those people whom people have selected or people who have appointed or selected themselves. And of course, for each specific congregation, this will be their person that is appointed. And it is known or and understanding that the God structure will not work at any other structure if there is not this person who stands before God. I will provide an example from my life. I was already in this service, and I have often loved to read books, so-called preachers. I looked at different TV programs. I was behaving unwisely, and I was enticed by this and was led by this, and I listened To this one woman from St. Peterburg, very often. And I heard that she was coming to Portland. She was going to have a crusade here in Portland. And I thought to myself, well, if this won't be in the time of our church, then I will go. I was talking to a brother here. He was like, oh, this is, she says such interesting things. And, you know, I came home and I lost all, all peace. And I decided, that no, even if it won't be during our service, I still won't go. This brother told me, you know, we're going to have service on Friday, let's miss it. I said, no, I'm not going to go. It turned out that I came to service. This brother went to this crusade, and after a crusade, he went to where she lived, and after this he stopped hearing and listening to our pastor. You'd think that, well, how? How so? Well, you see what can happen. That's why it is necessary in our spiritual understanding to understand who is who and what will happen to me for my inner man, what I can do and what I am not allowed to do. You know, t- till that time, I since that time I have thrown away all the books that I had. And uh, I'm not sorry about, about the loss of money in these books. I'm sorry about the loss of time. It was during sanctification where I had sanctified my home. I had thrown everything away. First I wanted to recycle this and I thought, No, this is too expensive for the recycling bin, I need to throw it in the trash. Perhaps someone doesn't want to hear this, but that was my decision. and so given that prayer is a kind of help expressed in the inheritance of God's mercy this is prayer and worship and prayer is the right that man gives the heavens to interfere here on earth and one of David's prayers written in the 143rd Psalm where he gives God the right to interfere in his life with his mercy and truth will be for us an example of our inheritance hear my prayer O Lord Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me lest I be like those who go down, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies, in you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. And so to examine the strength of God's mercies and this song prayer in the limits of truth, it is first necessary to establish the reason, the reason as to why David brought this prayer to God. You know, the events that had occurred with David did not destroy him, but on the contrary, they had strengthened this man of God. And the reason why this prayer was released, according to its content, was because a certain category of enemies that confronted and challenged David. This is first first, David's own flesh that had pushed David to sin, in which he had fallen and he had killed a man. It, it was a uh, Also personified sin, that was one of his enemies. And third personified death. So death and sin, these are figures. These are personified, this is a figure that stands behind the flesh of David and behind the flesh of each of us individually. And for us to be heard by God, it was necessary for David as well as us to present God a foundation or a right that could serve for God as proof that He can interfere in David's life with His mercy and truth. From David's perspective, this kind of proof in this prayer contained ten different arguments that David brought to God, saying, Hear me because of your righteousness and truth, because I remember the days of the old and all your works, because I spread out my hands to you, because I trust in You, because I lift my soul up to You, for I run to You, because You are my God. Hear me for Your name, hear me for Your mercy, and hear me because I am Your servant. This is what David says about this, Psalm 66, verses 18 through 20. About this, this is evidence of truth and righteousness in prayer. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly, God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. You know, if David were, were not to have lift up his prayer on the legal framework of truth, then he would not have had the foundation upon which he could be heard by God in his contention with enemies, such as his personal flesh, personified sin, and personified death. And to uplift... Our prayer on the legal field of truth and justice, it is necessary for our transgressions to be blotted out before the face of God so that we could not see them in our heart. We need the truth of the blood of Christ. Just as David did not see the iniquity in his heart, David says that if I were to have seen the iniquity in my heart, then I would never then God would have never heard me. You know, having f- committed such a sin and to not see iniquity in oneself. Because sin came to him from outside. So David himself did not carry this sin. This is, as we know, he was I think that we know the difference in defining what it means to sin and to be a sinner. To be a sinner is one who carries sin in his heart, who desires it, who lusts for it, who masks it, who avenges. This is. A food that is given cold. This is a plan. But he who sins is one who just was not watchful and had fallen into sin. That's why there are many songs that say, oh, I, woe to me, I am a sinner. Yes, I am so. He calls himself a sinner. Then he blesses himself as poor. And then, and then he says, yes, I am so. This, this, this double, this double testimony. when all the kings go out to war Nathan was at the roof of his house where he wasn't supposed to be there in that time when we do not that which we must do then we will absolutely fall into temptation what did he see he saw he saw the woman who was bathing and she was the wife of one of his 30 chief men men who were close to him and he told him to come to her of course he slept with her and she became pregnant and when she said that she was pregnant then he wanted to hide his sin he called this man and he told him to go home to be with his wife to sleep with his wife and in this way his hands would be clean can you imagine this thought but a person, the person whom he sends, he loved God. He loved David, and he did not go into his house to sleep. And then David changes his plan, calls out this man, and says to him, you know, war is war. He placed him in that place where there was going to be a deadly war, and he was left. And this is what happened. And he, he sent then word that this man had died. David said, "The sword kills one and the other. This is war. Everything happens. And then God sends him the prophet. And based on the story in David, we can see that a certain category of people, who there is certain category of people who have not died in the death of the Lord Jesus, as a result of which they condemn David for his actions, saying." How could God forgive such a man who has committed this sin? We need to understand that the sin came to him from outside. Nathan came and told him the story, told him a story in such a way that David understood that something had happened in the government, a kind of news that he had not yet heard of. One man had many sheep, And when the stranger came to a rich man, he took the sheep from the one who had one sheep, and he had felled it, gave it to this foreigner. And David, as king, he had said, this man must die. But Nathan answered him in this way, this is so, this is the man that is the king. Of course, David's heart... Uh, all automatically turned, and he said, "I must immediately die." And Nathan said, "You will not die, because the Lord has taken this sin away from you." And David, as we see, he had acknowledged his sin, and he said, "I have sinned." He knew that this was death, and he had said this, but the sin was not from within his, from out, from inside his heart. In the wicked, their their sin always comes from their heart and he might have emotion, he might have anger, deceitfulness. David says that if it was, would have been from his heart, then the Lord would not have heard him. So we are studying evidence of truth and righteousness. So our prayer must be lifted from a heart in which lacks lawlessness. In our heart, we can look only ourselves and see what is in there. What, what I have sown them sown there, do I have this or am I free from this? In other words, for us to not see iniquity in our heart, our heart must be cleansed of dead works through our proclamation with the truth that unveils for us the powers of the blood of the Lord Jesus, in which God reconciled the world, not imputing man in his iniquity. We are talking about people who recognize, confess, and leave their sin and accept God's justification as a gift of God's redeeming grace. Psalms 32 verses 1 through 2 Psalm of David, a contemplation Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit And so in our prayer battle with our own flesh which behind which stands personified sin and personified death to be heard by God, it is necessary to be in the limits of the legal field of God's truth and justice. And for this purpose we needed to examine what was the foundation for David of such a bold statement and assertion brought before God as evidence that he is in the limits of truth and justice. How was he able to gain this kind of virtue and in, in, in this kind of state? Or what price and what conditions must be fulfilled on our end to have these vital foundations? And to answer these questions and in this manner receive the opportunity to take off our sinful nature that is in the reins of personified sin and personified death and in this manner to be clothed in our new man who yields the garments of righteousness, we will need to examine the following questions. What is truth and righteousness, and what purpose do they fulfill? What is contained in the price for being in truth and righteousness? How do we keep ourselves in truth and righteousness? And fourth, what results will be yielded from knowing truth and righteousness? This is the full anatomy to the very detail. And the boundaries in which we could turn God's goodness on us and His mercy or the boundaries in which we could work at the manifold powers of God reflected in His mercies. When examining the first two questions, who or what is truth and righteousness in its nature and definition, and what purpose are truth and righteousness called to fill in our heart before God? We arrived at the next definition that truth and righteousness should not be viewed as twins, although they resemble one another, just like a daughter resembles her mother and a son resembles his father. Because in Scripture, justice or rather righteousness comes from truth. In other words, truth reproduces itself in righteousness just as a father reproduces himself in his son and just as a seed reproduces itself in fruit. From this, truth is the root that defines the state of a person's heart, whereas righteousness is the truth or the tree that is grown from this root and is a manifestation of this state. From this, we note... That judgment and justice or righteousness is truth in action or result of action of truth in our heart. And so, to practice righteousness, it is necessary to have a kind of truth in our heart that would protect the state of our heart. And this kind of state was supposed to be gained through our genetic inheritance that could be inherited. Only through the lineage of Abraham, through the lineage of Abraham, and no one can say that he's not our spiritual father. He is he whom God made the father of all believers, those who were circumcised and those who weren't because it is written that he had given birth to us by the word of truth, having desired he, wanted, he did this because righteousness can only come from the heart of a person that has truth and the heart of a person who is born from the seed of truth. Therefore, however the heart of a person may be, so will his actions be, because out of the good heart, where truth is, comes God's justice and the judgments of God that show mercy to the vessels of mercy and wrath to the vessels of wrath. This is a finely cut state in which there are sharp angles. Here there is nothing that is out of an evil heart that does not contain truth comes evil that defiles man and relates him to the category of wrestles of wrath. We know that we are talking about people who relate themselves not to the rank of the wicked, but the rank of the righteous. They think so. And so we are talking about the saved, but a lot of the A lot sin when sin comes from the outside, and some sin when it comes from within. Thus, the purpose of truth and righteousness in our heart, it is necessary to cooperate with the multitude powers of God expressed in the multitude of his mercies that are called to, first and foremost, blot out our sins before the face of the Lord. Now, when we looked at the third question, how do we keep ourselves in the limits of the legal field of truth and righteousness? Or how do we keep ourselves in the limits of the legal field of truth and righteousness? And we arrived to the conclusion that the price for being in truth and righteousness is going to be comprised in the war strategy that, in which there exists one unchanging definition that tells us that it is difficult to overcome the hill of the enemy and it is but it is far more difficult to keep it from being encroached on doesn't mean that we should not take this height or this mountain and this definition is attributed to keeping our righteousness in which a person is vigilant in this prayer and keeps the enemy from encroaching on his relations with God. And so to gain righteousness through faith in Christ Jesus as a gift of grace, it is necessary to become bankrupt or poor because the kingdom of God is given only to those who are poor in spirit. But in order to keep righteousness, it is necessary to practice righteousness. And for this goal, it is necessary to keep the poverty of the spirit, which expresses itself in absolute and perfect humility before the perfect will of God, Relying on the mercy of God. And so the first component of the price for the right to be contained in truth and justice is the acceptance of a delegated authority of God. The second price is payment for the knowledge of truth about redemption. Third, it is a reasonable and willful decision to forgive our debtors before the setting of the sun. Fourth, This is the complete separation from Babylon. Fifth, it is the need to believe in the promises of God. Sixth, it is the need to be prepared for a relationship with God as to our spouse. And so the seventh price for dwelling in the boundaries of the legal framework of truth and righteousness is a realization of the revelation of the righteousness of God, except in the heart of a person, in the the preachings of Christ that express itself in the direction of the movement from inside of our heart to the goal of another faith that is found in the clouds. Take a look at what Apostle Paul writes, Romans 1.17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So here we are talking about, if we look at the original, from faith means from inside to another faith, and it is striving towards something different that is not going from Baptist to Pentecostal, Pentecostal to Charismatic, and then something else. Therefore, the revealing of the righteousness of God in the heart of a person is a kind of principle on the basis of which a person is clothed in the resurrection of Christ that is going to be the fruit of his Spirit, yielding his new man in righteousness and holiness of truth. In these words, in the original Greek language and the revelation of the righteousness of God, are presented two kinds of faiths, or two kinds of information, that strive toward one another and that cooperate with one another. Because as we know, that faith is information from hearing the word of God. Here, there are two informations or two formats of faith. The first format of faith is truth that comes from the heart of a person and strives to the other kind of faith that has come from heaven. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together, righteousness and peace have kissed. Have met together means that they have and righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the heaven, and the righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before Him, and shall make His footsteps our pathway. Psalms 85, 9-13. And from faith to faith, is not from one denomination to another, but this is talking about and referring to the seeking of one faith to another faith. Faith is called the information of God, the Word of God. And it goes towards the righteousness of man. And faith is called truth because truth grows. So, the obedience of a person to the words of God is the faith of man. And when it goes, this is the meeting of two faiths a man with God and god with man the eighth price for dwelling in the boundaries of of truth and righteousness is accepting circumcision as the seal of righteousness which we gained before circumcision and he received the sign of circumcision this is abraham he received a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And so the image of circumcision is an image of baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire, in which we, immersing ourselves in the death of Christ, make with God a covenant of blood, covenant of salt, and covenant of rest. And if, in the Old Testament, the circumcision of the foreskin served as a sign of the covenant that served before God as evidence of his partaking to his chosen remnant and evidence of keeping this covenant, as it is written in Genesis seventeen fourteen, And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. He had violated this agreement. And in the New Testament, the image of the circumcision of the foreskin is the tongue of a person in which he, in baptism in water, makes a covenant with God. As we know, baptism in water, water baptism, we see, we see in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we hear, and in baptism in fire, we will feel. And know this, the tongue is the word, it is the seed. The tongue is capable of sowing. And therefore, in the new covenant, a sign of the covenant that could serve before God as evidence of man's partaking to his chosen remnant and evidence of keeping a covenant are new lips, which in the pages of Scripture are referred to as new. The cooperation of a renewed mind is... The work of a renewed mind is impossible without the bridling of our former lips. If we have a renewed thinking, a renewed thinking can only work through our lips. We do everything together through our lips, through our proclamations, through our testimony, through our communication and fellowship. And if these lips are not circumcised, then in this case, a renewed mind cannot work with an unbridled tongue. That's what they say. Sometimes a tongue... Is dependent on on the on the li, on the mind. For this goal, it is necessary to you to bridle our lips with the meekness of our new heart that is gained through our submission to the faith of God that is received through instruction and faith in the preached word of Christ. And therefore, again, this is obedience to the word of God that is accepted through instruction and faith. We must be instructed in faith. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your hearts, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Lest my fury come forth like fire and burn, so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Jeremiah 4, 3-4 And so to to Break up fallow ground is to proclaim with our lips the faith of our heart that is founded on the principles of the New Covenant. Before proclaiming the faith of our heart, it is necessary to place it in our heart. This means that we must first go to the beginning. How do we do this? How do we? We must become a disciple. We must listen intently. What we do at cell groups, what we do uh, when we talk about the Word, we edify one another, we listen to one another. That's why you paid attention that for a few services, pastor says, repeat after me, the Lord is my strength, my, my rock, my, my shield, my stronghold, and so forth, my refuge, my fortress, my deliverer. This is a certain sowing for certain people. There's a category of people who pray with this prayer and who use these names in prayer, and there are those who do not. Um, it's very important to speak these, these words with our lips, and it's very important To be in communication with the saints, and this is important before God. And again, to break up the fallow ground means to proclaim with our lips who God is for me in Christ Jesus, who He is. I must speak this. When I begin to say this, this is going to work differently. If I just listen... Yes, but I need to open my lips as well. It is from the proclamation with our lips, the faith of our heart that will depend whether or not our justification will be kept before God or not. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak idle, meaning uh, vain, that does not coincide with the will of God. They will give account of it in the day of judgment, for by your words you be justified and by your words you will be condemned you know, people are going to be uh, to be judged and they're going to be uh, saved through their own proclamations they listen the word but they don't they don't proclaim it what, how they're feeling, how they've been looked at by others feelings that grow them apart but we know in the beginning was the word it is written here on this pulpit in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and if we can keep this word within ourselves inside of ourselves when it was, when a war was declared in our thoughts, for me this was a battle. I don't know how it was for you. It was a battle over my thoughts, a battle for what happ- what comes in the mind. I, I knew quite well that if I, if I don't allow the birds to nest, then they're not going to create these nests, but I paid attention that the birds don't fly away. The nests may not be formed, but the birds don't go away. The thoughts don't go away. And there are different kinds of various thoughts. I don't even want to say them out loud, some some of the thoughts. And when I begin to hear how Pastor talked about this, how he had resisted these thoughts, and I'm in this battle, and personally for me, this for me is, I begin to proclaim, and I begin to understand, you know very little what to proclaim yes you can read when you are working when you are with one another you can't read that's why i understood that if you are a warrior of prayer and to be in this state of a king priest and prophet they must be in your tongues in your lips these thoughts of god if i begin to speak them then my thoughts won't belong to me. They're not mine. They won't find a root in me. They won't find a, a, a ground where they can, where they can find themselves. And this, for me, is the number one thing that I'm concentrated on. And I understanding, understand that I'm a liar, and I know that this is not within me. I know that my arrow is stronger. I know that the faith of heart is a sign of circumcision that expresses itself in the proclamation of lips and therefore the faith of the heart and lips that proclaim the faith of the heart is a kind of marital union of two partners death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat of its fruit Proverbs 18.22 and you know this had become very um, very illuminated lately And therefore, to have the faith of the heart, it is necessary to have a circumcised ear. That is going to be a sign of humility that expresses the poverty of the spirit, or rather bankruptcy. This means that if we want to have new lips, or if we want our lips to become new, we need to humble ourselves. To humble, as a commanding word, to to force ourselves. You know, it's easier to force someone else to do something, especially if someone has a certain position. He who is under them, they don't take responsibility over themselves. He who does not humble himself, he is a stiff person. As it is written in Acts 7.51, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. You see that if the heart and the ears are not circumcised, then this person cannot cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He is always going to resist. His tongue is going to say something completely different. He is going to perhaps listen to the correct proclamations, but because they're not in his heart, he has not humbled himself and he has not inclined his ear. And therefore he does not have any humility nor acceptance of the person whom God has established over him. He is simply stiff-necked. He can't proclaim he can't proclaim, he can proclaim only when something happens terrible in his life, he will say, I have faith and healing, this is what is written he he had taken all my burdens and I proclaim, I believe, I believe I believe, just like a mantra and this person will uh, believe in this way up to the very hell and when he as ends up there, he's going to say I'm not supposed to be there, I'm not supposed to be here I'm not supposed to be here I had believed in healing, I had faith, but you had no faith. It must come from the heart. A person tries to portray his desires as faith, but faith is a revelation of God that comes in the heart of a person through hearing the word of God from that person whom God has sent. This is faith. Faith is from hearing the word of God. But not all have heard, said Isaiah, who has believed. Isaiah was sent. And therefore, the ninth price for dwelling in the boundaries of truth and righteousness is the ability to find ourselves in God, or to place ourselves in Christ, not with our own righteousness that is from the law, but with the one that is through faith in Christ Jesus. Philippines chapter three verse nine and be found in Him, meaning Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. In these words are presented two formats of righteousness that come and that are founded on two covenants, the old and new, in which a person can discover himself depending on in what covenant he has placed himself in and what kind of righteousness he prefers the righteousness from works or righteousness by faith. Because in this case, we are talking about finding ourselves in Christ, in the creation of righteousness expressed in the justice of God, which is called to be fulfilled in the boundaries of the legal framework of the new covenant. With the works of the law, not one flesh can be justified before Him. For by for by the law is the knowledge of sin, because the law of Moses or the law of works. The law of works relates to the law of Moses, because all of the law of Moses is founded on one thing, on works. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 25. This is a very deep truth that can change the lives of very many believers if they were to simply just meditate upon this. Then no one would be able to blame man because the truth is deeply written in his heart. Whatever you may say, whatever he might hear, he has acknowledged the truth and he is going to trust not on what he does or what he has done, but what God has done for him. And only on this foundation can he do something. The next price for the right to dwell in truth and righteousness is to suffer for the truth. Commit ourselves to him who judges righteously. 1 Peter 2.23 who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously we're talking about how to keep ourselves in truth and righteousness when we are reviled to not answer in return when we suffered, to not threaten but to commit ourselves to him who judges righteously you know when I had a certain circumstance I came to our pastor to an appointment and said well how do I be in this situation or this case and he says can you get up This was the first time, however many years had happened, I asked him the same question, asked him the same question, and are you able to rise up over this? I don't come to pastor anymore with these questions. I begin to understand that the circumstances might not change. I have changed to these circumstances. I have changed to them, and it works in me for good. First, I go in humility and in obedience, and I couldn't even imagine the results. But the result came and came in such a way that I was simply astonished how it could work in our life. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here we are talking about our are talking about not talking about enemies that we are called to love, our household, the world, or so forth. But we cannot forgive the wicked, we cannot forgive devil, we cannot forgive our flesh. We need to judge it and we need to be rid of it. I want to say this with my words for myself personally, as a double testimony. With these enemy, we cannot have mercy because they are cast to to death. And I know that overcoming evil with good, we demonstrate truth and righteousness in this place. We give God the opportunity to demonstrate His mercy for us in order to give a place to His wrath and to produce vengeance for us in which our enemies are going to be laid under our feet. And I think I will end at this. Amen. Let us, friends, pray. heavenly and just God. I truly thank you for the opportunity to be found in this place that your hand has outlined, for the worship before your holy name. And I thank you, Lord, that I, along with your saints, can incline not just my head, but my heart. And thank you for that mercy that you have demonstrated to each of us individually. I thank you, Lord, that we have known your name.
0: I thank
1: you for that good wife and the dignity of narrow gates whom we have found when we begin to reject ourselves, when we begin to reject our old man, reject her intellect. And we have submitted to your word, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to submit myself to the Word of God, to submit myself to your faith and your faith to place in the tablets of my heart. I thank you, Lord, for the calling, the calling to be clothed in the dignity of a warrior of prayer to be clothed as kings, priests, and prophets. I thank you, Lord,
0: that you
1: have given us so many promises that you have poured out as before Abraham, before his eyes in heaven as stars that You have spread a sand before His feet an immeasurable amount of Your Word in which we can be clothed in in which we can eat which we can be clothed in with which we are able we can be comforted by we can be dissolved in we thank You that they are not found at the cemetery of our faith and our faith grows from this I thank You, Lord for the cooperation of the meme and Durim in our heart, for these two formats of wisdom that we are able to have. And we, Lord, are able to enter in that state in which we are going to have the immunity of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for this. We thank you for that truth, that truth that was at one point tossed as those rocks on the hill. And when we had gathered, and when we had armed the altar, the altar of Baal was destroyed. And I thank you for this altar, for the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. I thank you for the teaching of baptism, baptism, water, Holy Spirit, and fire, for birth from water, Spirit, and throne, the covenant of blood, salt, and rest, for the good, acceptable, and perfect will. I thank you, Lord, that you engrave this in our heart and that we, Lord, from service to service, grow in our faith. You, Lord, teach us how to select prayer words. We have gained that state of a widow as she had done in Surrepta of Sidon. She was able to be found at the gates of the city and gather wood. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the opportunity to be found in the cave of Adalon. And I know that no arrows that are sent by the Midianites, Amalekites and the people of the East will not touch us. I know that in this rock will be water. I know that this is possible for each of us to stand, to withstand in these days, to praise you and to bow down before you. We have despised all that is human, for we have hated the commandments of man but we have loved the commandments of God. Your word has become the light upon our path. We thank you that you are the God of our strength, rock, fortress, deliverer, rock of Israel, horn of our salvation, shield, and refuge, you have know, delivered us from our enemies. We consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. We hold on to our proclamations, for you are faithful to what you have promised. I thank you, Lord, that we have a partaking to your death, which gives us the opportunity and the right to partake to your resurrection, which will give us the power to the authority to call on the name of the Lord from the early morning. to call the inexistent as existent in our life and to also view as, the saints around us. So, I thank you, Lord, that we are able to praise the Lord our lives. Let us not perish forever and ever. And may the one who created, who created the laws with his word, and your word has become the law for us, Praise the Lord, for He is good. You are worthy of praise, our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. To you, the praise and honor and glory, our Almighty God. Amen. And now, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now, to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.